Good evening. Not to uh, disparage those who are out of town, but we're down to the faithful few here at uh, Thanksgiving week, but I'm glad you're here and thankful for this opportunity to worship God together. I used to be what some might call kind of a news junkie. I loved the news. I'd watch it every opportunity I had. I would uh, listen to it on the radio in my car. I would use various apps on my phone to keep track of what was going on. And I even, during most of my high school career, if you asked me what I wanted to do for a living, that would have been my answer. I wanted to be a journalist. I wanted to be a newscaster, maybe. I even was. At Auburndale High School, I had this daily news show with the uh, Bloodhounds Daily Television, where I'd get up there and talk about the news. But it got to the point, and maybe you've experienced this if you really plugged into the news, it got to the point where it was really dragging me down. Where just consuming all that news, most of it's bad news, really had an effect on my mood and it had an effect on my outlook in life. And when you look at what's going on in the world around us, you just know we're a long way away from that paradise garden that God planted in the beginning of the book of Genesis where the first two people lived. And it seems like every day, multiple times every day, there's a heartbreaking story. There's something you hear that you just don't want to hear, that you wish you had not known come across the news. And today we're going to look at the Bible's answer of how we overcome that. How do we overcome that negativity in the world that seeks to drag us down, the sin and the influence of those negative spiritual forces that exist around us? We're going to look at that in your Bibles. I hope you'll turn, if you have one, to 1 John. Toward the back there, near Revelation, 1 John. And remember, John the Apostle is known as the Apostle whom Jesus loved. He followed Jesus around while Jesus was on this earth. He was one of the first people that Jesus called personally and told him to follow him. When he followed him around, he saw what he did. He was an eyewitness to a lot of these things. In fact, we read about in the Gospel of John that bears his name that he was... Um, on the chest of Jesus, they were that close, when he was talking about Judas betraying him. Uh, they had a great friendship. When Jesus was on the cross, he told John to, take, to, to behold him and to behold his own mother. Uh, so they had a friendship. John knew Jesus very well. He was a part of the, what I sometimes call the inner circle of Jesus, which was uh, Peter, John, and John's brother James. So he knew Jesus well, and he was a leader in the early church uh, for a while because he died. Uh, a pretty old man. But we're going to notice some things John has to say about overcoming the world and, and things like that in this letter he wrote to some Christians in the first century that we know as 1 John. In the first place, we're going to see why overcoming the world is necessary in the first place. If the local news, the late night news, isn't convincing enough for you to see why the world needs to be overcome, we'll see what John has to say about it here as inspired by God. Look at 1 John 2, 15 through 17. And what we're going to see here is John describing the great divide between the world and God. And we're going to look at that and define some terms. But notice what he says here. He says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father but it's from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. 
So we see here that there's this division between God and the world. But before we look at that, let's talk about what the world is. In the Greek text, it's that word cosmos. We're probably familiar with that. We say in English, cosmos. We could talk about the cosmos, and we talk about the universe, the world. We have words like cosmology, etc., that talk about not only adorning cosmetology, but also cosmology, the study of uh, the world and space and whatnot, and beginnings. But in the Bible, it really means what one uh, writer described as the world system. It's representative of godless world standards. It's really a negative influence in the lives of those who live in the world. Think about it as wisdom or actions or insight, unguided and unhelped by God. And that's what the Bible talks about when it talks about the world. And part of the reason why the world and God are at odds is because God in his sovereignty has allowed Satan to have a certain dominion over the world for this time. And Satan isn't how you see him on Halloween. He's not, you know, with the horns and with the red squiggly tail and with the pitchfork. The Bible does not describe Satan like that at all. He's a malevolent, evil, spiritual force that seeks to undermine what God does. And he's not equal with God either. It's not like they're in this epic sparring match and you got to gotta look and you don't know. Maybe Satan's going to get a gut punch and knock God down. That's not how that works at all. Satan, God, God created Satan. Satan eventually chose to be evil. God created Satan good. But he is far less superior than God. Nevertheless, God has allowed him to have a certain sway over this present age. A couple of different times, Satan is described as the ruler of this world. In John 12, 31, Jesus says, Now this is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. In John 14, 30, Jesus says, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, Jesus says, because he came to destroy his works. Paul, in 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, describes Satan as the God, little g, God, of this world. In 1 John 5.19, John writes, We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So whether we're looking at late night news or looking in the Bible, we see something that's apparent. Satan has a certain sway over this present age, over the world. And the consequence is that the world and God are at odds, just like we read there in 1 John 2, 15 through 17. Now notice three elements of contrast between the world and God. In 1 John 2, 15, we see that the world and God have contrasting loves or contrasting desires. They have contrasting priorities. So much so, John says, you cannot love the world, the things of the world, and still have the love of God in you. And he's not saying you can't love the people of the world. In fact, the opposite. John talks a lot about loving those around you in his letter. What he's saying is those standards, those attitudes, that negativity we read about on the news, the sin that surrounds this world, we are not to love that. That's not to be our main purpose here on this earth. In fact, we're looking to something much better. James would say that friendship with the world is enmity with God, and whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And when we cozy up next to the world's standards that don't look to God for wisdom, James says we become an enemy of God because God has allowed the world to be swayed by Satan. Notice also there's contrasting desires. Look at verse 16. All that is in the world, and he lists three things, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. He says these things are not from God, they're from the world. God didn't 
that he's not advocating that we seek those things. In fact, if you turn in your Bibles to the first book, in Genesis chapter 3, verse number 6, we see that these three things is exactly what led to Eve eating that forbidden fruit. And a lot of people think it's an apple. The Bible doesn't say that. I highly doubt it. Um, apples, I think, are too delicious uh, to have that kind of negative consequence. But notice what is said here of Eve when she looks at uh, the tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It says there that when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. Three things she notices about the tree. That it was good for food. John mentions that there is desires of the flesh that come from the world. Next, Eve notices about the tree that it was a delight to the eyes. John warns about the desires of the eyes in 1 John 2.16. And then she says that the tree was desired to make one wise when John warns about the pride of life. We see there that there are these three things that the world is defined by that God rejects. In the first place, fleshly lusts. Romans 13.14 says, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Our flesh unchecked, our uh, base motivations, instincts, etc., unchecked, lead us to do things that God does not approve of. Also, the lust of sight, riches, stuff, etc., never being content, always looking for the next thing, always trying to uh, look for something else to add to your collection so then maybe you could be happy. Think about in the Ten Commandments, something the Lord tells the people of Israel is, not only should you not steal what your neighbor has, but you shouldn't even covet what he has. You shouldn't even look at it longingly, scheming about a way that you could steal it. God says that even is wrong. And then there's the pride of life that John talks about. This is being secure and boastful in one's physical stature or their possessions. In Luke 12, 15, Jesus warns his audience to be on guard against all kinds of covetousness because covetousness leads to other things. And covetousness makes it impossible to be content with what God has given us. But the Bible is clear these things are not from God. In fact, they stand in opposition to him. While the world celebrates and admonishes us to have fleshly lusts and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, God values self-control. He values love, even sacrificial love that puts others' needs before our own. God values humility. God values spiritual riches. You could not have a penny in the bank and be rich according to God and in God's eyes by laying up for yourself treasures, not here on this earth, but having priorities that are in heaven. And then there's the contrasting longevity between the world and God. Look at verse 17 in 1 John 2. The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. If we follow the world and love the world, we share a similar fate with it. If all of our treasures are just here on this earth, and when eventually this earth passes away, when those things become eaten by rust and moths, or when those things are stolen, and that was truly our joy, that was truly our treasure, what happens to us? We're disappointed, and we have nothing left. But if we obey God, and we seek him, and we abide in him, unlike the world that's doomed to pass away, we abide forever. We live on forever after this life is over. So you see that the contrast between the world and God 
is pretty uh, stark. There's definitely a dividing line. So how do we overcome the world? Because honestly, shutting off the news isn't enough. Not reading news articles isn't enough. Some things are good to be informed about. Even if you didn't watch TV and didn't read the newspaper and didn't listen to the radio, which is not what I'm advocating, but even if you did that, still on your day-to-day life, there would be things around you in the world that were dragging you down, that were tempting you, that were causing you to struggle. How do we overcome this? Quite simply, we overcome this through faith in Jesus, as was read in the text in 1 John 5, 1 through 5. If you would turn in your Bibles, if you're not there already, 1 John 5, 1 through 5. And we see that God has provided us a way to escape the negative influence and the defilements of this world. And that way is through Jesus, through how he came to this earth and what he taught, through how he died for us and how his blood cleanses us of our sins. Because of the sacrifice that he made on our behalf, we can be reconciled to God. And the world doesn't have to have any sway on us. Notice a couple of ways we can overcome the world outlined in this text in 1 John 5, verse 1. In the first place, we overcome the world by believing that Jesus is the Christ. Look at 1 John 5, verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. Sometimes we have the misunderstanding about Jesus, um, that Christ was his last name. You know, if, he, if they had ID cards back in Palestine back in the day, his ID card would have said Jesus Christ. No, Christ is a title. It's something about who he was. It's something about his mission. You know, his parents, his surname wasn't Christ. That's the title of the anointed one. That's what that means in the original languages. It means he came here for a specific purpose with a specific task. And it was to show people how to live lives that help those around them and that bring them to God. And then he died to make that a possibility. So to believe that Jesus is who he proved himself to be, that's the first step in overcoming the world. We must believe that Jesus is indeed, as he claimed to be, the Son of God, the promised Messiah of God who was God in the flesh, who died a sacrificial death for all of mankind, who was raised from the dead on the third day and then ascended into heaven. John says, if we believe this, this is the first step to overcoming the world. Why? Because when we really believe that, it changes how we act. When we really believe that, it changes how we view other people. When we really believe that, it changes how we view the world around us. So we ought to believe that... uh, Uh, that Jesus is who he said he was, that he is the Christ, and that he's still in heaven pleading our case to God the Father, and that he died for us. Next, how do we overcome the world? We ought to love God and obey his commandments. Look at what John says there in 1 John chapter 5, verses 2 and 3. So the first step, believe Jesus is the Christ, believe he is who he says he is, and the next step is to love God and obey him. And these things really go hand in hand. It says, by this we know that we love the children of God, When we love God and obey his commandments, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. We see a couple of important things here. In the first place, a mere mental exercise of holding the belief that Jesus is who he said he is, is not enough to overcome the world. 
Because we can just believe, okay, I believe Jesus is who he said he is. But if it doesn't change how we live, and we're still just going right along with the world, that's not going to make any difference. To overcome the world, we have to put that into practice by obeying what God commands. And our culture, I think, by and large at least, really hates this idea of obeying what God has commanded. It's seen as a kind of imprisoning thing. You know, I don't need God's training wheels on my life. I can make my own decisions. But notice what the Bible says is the motivation for this obedience. It's not, oh, I better obey God. I don't want to be punished. Oh, I better obey God. You know what happens if you don't? Notice what the Bible says. This is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. What's our motivation for obeying God? It's out of love for him. And if you think about it, if you really love somebody, it's going to show up in how you act. I could tell Lori that I love her all day long. I could text her and call her and send her letters, even though we live at the same house. I could do all kinds of stuff, telling her how much I love her. But at the end of the day, when I have an opportunity to do something that inconveniences me for her sake, and I don't do it, that speaks louder than any I love you I could ever give her. And the same is true with any relationship. If we say we love somebody, say we love somebody, and when it comes down to it, for us to prove it with our actions and we don't, that speaks louder than our words. And the Bible here tells us this is the love of God, that you keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. This is a theme really throughout the entirety of Jesus' teaching. And I want you to keep in mind that John followed Jesus around. John knew Jesus well. And three times in the Gospels, Jesus says this, If you love me, you will obey my commandments. And really with Jesus, he saw that as the foundational motivational factor. Those who are going to obey me, do what I say, follow my teachings, are going to be those who love him. So if we love God and not the world then our lives will be transformed as we obey him and will escape the defilements and the snares of the world. There's really no other way. In the eyes of the Bible, we either obey the ways of the world or we obey God. We either love the world or we love God. Thankfully, the choice is ours. And notice there it says that we, this is the love of God, that we obey his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome or grievous, as some translations say. I think most of us have an idea of what that means. Whenever I hear that word, I think about like a pack mule, you know? My dad lives in Colorado. They have this festival called the Burrow Days, and they just strap up a bunch of donkeys, and they have a race with donkeys. Sounds lame, but it's pretty cool. And that comes from back when it was a mining town, and they would put all this gear on these donkeys, and they'd put them into the mine shafts, or they'd have them carry these things over mountains, whatever it was. And you got to think about some of these poor animals, though they're built for it and they don't mind it probably, just packed down with all this stuff, stuff that humans weren't willing or able to carry, they would just put on the animal. And that's a burden. We read about in, here in popular culture about a beast of burden. It's an animal that I own that I just load stuff onto. That's not what God's doing with us. We're not his pack mules. We're not his beasts of burden. He's not just shoveling on commandments on top of our back to make life hard for us. It says his commandments are not burdensome. And when love's the motivating factor for obeying God, 
we see that, in fact, freedom comes when obeying God. Uh, sorry, the freedom that comes with obeying God is light compared to the weight and burden of sin and worldliness and guilt. And we know that God has gave us these things, these commandments to follow, not to punish us, but to liberate us, to help us live the best life we can live. He is our creator, showing us how to live this life that he set before us. And it really is a liberating thing. And as the Bible says, it's not burdensome. I think sometimes this is something that comes with time. It's something that comes with maturity. I think about it in my own life. My mom uh, would always ask me to take the trash out for her. And ever since I can remember, I've been scared of the dark. You can ask Lori, still am scared of the dark. And I don't know why it always is. You always got to take out the trash at like 11.59 the night before trash day. We're never ready to take out the trash when the sun's still out. It's always really late the night before. Remember my mom telling me to take out the trash, and sometimes I just did not want to do it. But I do it anyway because I didn't want her to yell at me. But as I got older, I started realizing the things she's done for me. I started realizing that she does love me and she does care for me. And my love for her started to grow. I took out the trash, and it was no big issue because I loved her. And I said, you know what, Mom, you do so much for me. The least I could do for you is take out the trash. I'm not saying God's telling us to take out the trash, so to speak. But when we have that attitude towards God, mindful of all that he's done for us, mindful of all that he's given us, mindful of all the blessings that he has in store for us, then our obedience to him really does change. It's no longer a burden. And I hope that we together can prayerfully get to that place. So how do we overcome the world? We must believe that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is who he said he is. We must love God and obey his commandments. And we must, in the last place here, be born of God. Notice what John says, uh, writes here in 1 John 5, verses 4 and 5. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. We just sang that not too long ago. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? So we see that, that faith is the victory. This world is possible to overcome when we walk by faith and know that this world isn't all there is. If this world is all there is, truly, we're pitiful and uh, it's just a sad situation. But when we by faith look to what's to come and we know that this isn't all there is, everything changes. But to get there, notice what John says, one must be born again. And when you think about what a birth is, um, what is a birth? It's a beginning, right? You were not really in the world. You were in the world, but in your mother's you know, womb. And then you're born, and you're here, and you're loud, and you're screaming, and you're crying, hopefully, because that's a good sign. And you're living out in the world. It's a beginning. So this new birth, this birth again, John describes, it's not a physical one. It's a spiritual birth. And Jesus enables us to have a renewed spirit, to be forgiven of the guilt and the condemnation that comes with sin. And we have a new beginning offered to us in Christ. And this is the capstone of how we can overcome the world. When we're born of God, when we're born anew, afresh, when we're born from above, when we have this spiritual rebirth, we overcome the world. 
the suffering and unfairness and sin of this world no longer has a grip on us because we've been made new and we know where our true home and citizenship lies. So how are we born again? This is done by faithfully submitting to a new birth and baptism. In John 3, 3 through 5, we're all pretty familiar with this verse. There's this Jewish teacher named Nicodemus, and he's really blown away with what Jesus has been doing. But he's still a little afraid to be seen with Jesus, so he comes to Jesus at night, and he says, Teacher, we know that you must be from God, because nobody can do the things you're doing unless they be from God. And, and Jesus' response to him is, he gets straight to the point, he says, Look, if you're going to enter my kingdom, my domain, if you're going to be one of my followers, if you're going to be pleasing to God, you must be born again. And Nicodemus struggles. He says, how can you be born again? You can't enter again your mother's womb. And of course, he had a misunderstanding. It's not a physical rebirth. It's a spiritual rebirth. And Jesus says, unless you're born again of water and the spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. So this rebirth that helps us overcome the world it begins with our baptism and is sustained by our faith. Notice what Paul wrote in Galatians 3, 26 through 29. He says, therefore, in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. How do you become a son? Well, you can't be a son until you're born. And you're a son of the one who beget you, right? Who caused you to come into existence. So this spiritual childhood of God comes through this new birth. He says, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ. The worldly things that divide us and separate us, this relationship in Christ transcends those things, and we have a level of unity only possible in Jesus. He says, and if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. That promise God gave Abraham that all the nations of the world will be blessed through his descendants is fulfilled in Jesus. And when we experience this new birth and become a son of God, it's fulfilled in us. We today can become a new creation by faith. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, the past, the old has passed away and the new has come. And we see how we enter Christ there in Galatians 3, 26 through 29. The world is a place that will drag you down. You're surrounded by it and there's not much you can do. Jesus says you can't go out of the world. You have to stay in the world. So what is our solution? Our solution is faith in Christ. Jesus told his disciples before he was going to be crucified, he said, in the world you will have tribulation. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. There's going to be difficulty. He said, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And if we are in Christ, we can overcome the world as well by loving God, by loving our neighbor, by obeying his commands that are not burdensome, by placing our faith in who Jesus is and living accordingly. We can be uh, remade, reborn, and live a life not touched by the world. If you've yet to do that, if you've yet to put your faith in Jesus in this kind of way, Today is the day to do that. The world's not going to get much better. It's probably going to get even worse before Jesus comes back. But there's a way to overcome it. God's not left us as orphans. He's there to help. 
If you want to come forward and put Christ on in baptism or you need prayers for strength, whatever it is, we offer that invitation for you today while we stand and sing this song. Maybe you've already overcome the world initially at your rebirth, but you keep getting dragged down, you keep getting pulled down. Sin keeps entangling you. Today's the day to come forward, get some help. We'd love to help you. Whatever you need, come forward while we stand and sing.